Okay, we're reading from, yes, from the Gospel of John, starting at chapter 13, verse 31, and through to 14, verse 7. It's on page 1081 of the Church Bibles. So John 13, 31 to 14, 7. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Thank you very much, Ralph, for, for reading for us. Um, I, I don't know whether you, you have a sense of where we are in John's Gospel. We, we are kind of in a, a, in a sort, of, sort of pause moment, in one sense, in the middle of the Gospel. Um, because the, the first half um, of John's Gospel, chapters 1 through to 12, um, is the, the, the book of the signs, uh, organized around these seven great signs that uh, Jesus performs. Uh, which focus attention on his uh, identity. Um, and then, clearly, as you, you would guess, we move to the end of um, the Gospel account and, and we enter into uh, the, the passion narrative, um, the events of, of Jesus' arrest and the, um, and the trial and so on, uh, the cross and then the resurrection. But in between those two bits, chapters 13 through to chapter 17, is is a kind of hiatus where, in one sense, the narrative action pauses um, because we retreat to an upper room uh, where first Jesus um, washes um, his disciples' feet, where they're they're sharing the Passover meal together, um, and then he engages in conversation with them. And then finally, in chapter 17, concludes with a prayer for them. So here we are located in this, in this sort of pause moment, um, if I can put it like that. Um, and the context is, is trouble. That's pretty obvious. Um, we have, uh, we've been hearing 
uh, of the prospect of, um, of betrayal um, and departure, uh, of denial um, and of death. Um, and the mood has become very somber. Uh, Judas has just left on his mission of betrayal um, and ominously um, back in the middle of chapter 13. Uh, when Judas goes out, John tells us, and it was night. Uh, using his imagery of light and darkness to tell us that this is a, this is a, a desperate, grim, bleak moment uh, of betrayal from Judas. Um, and, and the disciples, understandably, in this sort of atmosphere uh, that has arisen as Jesus talks to them about the idea that he's going to be betrayed, the disciples are troubled. Um, you know, pause for a moment. Shove yourselves in their shoes, if you like. Um, just think where they find themselves. Because they have left everything. They're all in, aren't they, uh, with Jesus? Uh, they've left their homes. Uh, they've left their jobs. They've left their friendships. You know, they've thrown everything in uh, with this decision to follow Jesus. And now suddenly here he is saying, I'm leaving you. And understandably they say, well, no, 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 we'll, we'll come with you. I mean, you're going? We'll come, we'll come. And Jesus says, no, you can't come. Where I'm going, you're not able to follow me. And the, and the measure of disturbance that that creates for the disciples, understandably huge. And then spare a thought for poor old Peter, who has just been told, despite his protestations to the contrary, just been told that he's going to deny Jesus three times. Clearly, Peter is flawed by that. We hear nothing more from him um, until chapter 18. Um, we can only guess, can't we? The, the way in which this declaration from Jesus that he's about to betray and deny Jesus uh, these three times um, hits him so hard. So the disciples are troubled. They are unsettled. And, and you and I know what that's like, uh, even though we may not be facing this particular trouble, um, we know what it is to be troubled. You know the impact that that has upon you. It kind of does things to you, doesn't it, if you're in a troubled state. It's hard to think clearly um, when you're feeling overcome by uh, some difficulty. Hard to act consistently in the midst of trouble. Hard to relate rightly when we're beset by trouble. Uh, it disturbs our equilibrium, disrupts our very lives. Uh, trouble unsettles us. I, I don't know if you are um, currently in the midst of, of trouble. Perhaps you are. Um, hard not to be aware of the trouble of our world, isn't there? Political, economic disturbance, uh, from the ongoing Brexit crisis. Lots of trouble there. Uh, the trouble of terrorism and violence around our world. Catches your mind, doesn't it? You travel down to London and you find yourself in one of the tourist spots. Just think, maybe it's not safe being here in the midst of a large crowd uh, as it was 10 years ago. Troubling and to know that level of violence uh, pressing in upon our world. Um, but perhaps 
the trouble that you experience is, is less sort of global, the world. Perhaps it's a little bit more personal than that. Your trouble is the trouble of a redundancy, a threat to your job. Your trouble is the trouble of an illness or a bereavement. Perhaps your trouble is the trouble of having a difficult employer or a difficult employee. Or perhaps what you realize is that your real trouble is the trouble of your own angry, impatient response to all of that trouble. But let me, let me narrow in still further. Um, let me get yet more personal. Perhaps your trouble is in the closest of relationships that you have. That's what's bothering you. You're bothered by a relationship that you've got and you're beginning to wish you didn't have it. Or you're troubled by a relationship that you haven't got and you long and yearn for. Perhaps it's a parenting struggle. Perhaps you are troubled by the children that you've got. Perhaps you are troubled by the parents that you've got. Or maybe our trouble is even yet more personal still. Maybe your trouble sits in the sexual arena. Troubled by temptations that you are finding so very hard to resist. Troubled by attractions that you find so very hard to understand. There is plenty of trouble. It's trouble that is out there in the world and it's trouble that is in here in the experience of our own hearts. So when we come to a passage like this and we find, as it were, Jesus speaking into the issue of trouble and we find him speaking, as it were, sort of antidotes to trouble, you kind of want to sit up and take notice. We're interested. He has our attention. Uh, as he lays out before us what I think are are two antidotes to worry. Uh, First, a place, and then a way. Uh, Let's take a look at each in turn. Uh, First, a place. Uh, Let me pick it up at the beginning of the chapter again. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. We have a sense, don't we, that that place matters. Um, I found myself thinking about all the different ways, or some of the different ways, um, in which knowing uh, that a place is there for us makes a difference. Um, uh, Ralph was praying about people coming up to to taking exams. Um, Think about those who, uh, uh, the far side of their exams, uh, are going to be applying to university. Um, waiting for results. Well, what a great moment it is when, you know, in your application process to a university, you, you get given a place. I've got a place at university. 
And how brilliant if that place was unconditional. How good would that be? An unconditional place at university. Marvelous. It transforms life. Lots of trouble about my exams. Trouble's gone. Unconditional place at university. You can sense that moment, couldn't you? Um, or, or how about uh, maybe a, a more trivial example? You, you're, you know, maybe you're in the zone at the moment of planning your summer holiday. Uh, trying to think where would be a good place to go. Narrow it down to a country, if you're lucky enough to go abroad. Narrow it down to a region. Then you're on the website searching all of these self-catering places or, or a hotel or, a, or a whatever it is. And searching, searching, searching. And eventually, you find the place. I've booked a place. Marvellous. It's great, isn't it? You've got somewhere to look forward to. You have the anticipation of this fantastic holiday and the place is booked. You know the details of it. It's lovely. Um, or, or what about getting your own place? We talk in those terms, don't we? Um, maybe moving out of home, getting away from those difficult parents. At last, getting my own place. Terrific. Uh, or, or maybe it's years and years of rented accommodation with all these mad Cambridge rental prices. And finally, you own your own place. No more rent, just all the bother of needing to look after the place now. I mean, they're great moments, aren't they? These moments of having a place that's your own. Think most gloriously, perhaps, uh, of how it feels for a looked-after child to get a place. Years, perhaps, of foster care, children's homes. And then to find that they've been adopted. They've got a place. A home, a family, a room, a place that they can call their own. You can see how special, how glorious, how good it is to know that we have a place. And that's what Jesus is promising here, a place. In my Father's house, many rooms, and I go there to prepare you a place. And of course, the place he's thinking about is is not so much a a physical place, though the new heavens and the new earth is indeed physical, but he is also speaking to us of a, of a spiritual place. Because he is addressing our spiritual sense of dis-ease, of feeling unsettled. We, we, we fall into that at different points in our lives, don't we? Maybe for some of us it's a, it's a constant thread of our lives that we feel unsettled. Feel as though in life we're just not quite kind of making it. We have this sense that we ought to be achieving more. We have this sense that we ought to be more of somebody. We want to make our mark. We want to achieve something in this world of ours. And we feel as though we're just not managing it. Is that the sense of spiritual dis-ease that you and I have? The people around us have? Well, into that experience of dis-ease spiritually, Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, 
that you also may be where I am. It, it, it's terribly sort of personal, this, isn't it? The way that Jesus speaks. There's nothing vague about it. Jesus sort of connects this place with himself very tightly, very powerfully. No, no wonder that Jesus begins this little section by saying, listen, you, you believe in God, you believe also in me. Now that's quite a thing to say to, to orthodox Jewish believers. You, know, you believe in God, you believe in Yahweh, you believe in the God of the Old Testament. You've got that belief. Well, now I tell you, believe in me alongside that. That's quite some claim. John is full of those pointers to Jesus' sense of his own identity, to Jesus' outrageous claims to call people uh, to belief in him as God on earth. Jesus gets personal here because he wants us to understand that it's not as though a Christian is saying to themselves, I'm doing my best. I'm hoping that that maybe one day uh, God will accept me. A Christian is saying something very different to that, aren't they? A Christian is saying there is a place and Jesus has gone there and he has prepared it and he is coming back and he is going to take me to be with him where he is. And Jesus says to me, if all of that weren't the case, do you think I would have told you that that's what I'm doing? It's very personal. It's very specific. And and we see here what it is to have faith in Jesus in our diseased state, in our troubled world. It's a balm for troubled hearts, this, isn't it? To know that in our sense that we're not quite making it, in our sense that we're not quite making the impact that we wanted, in our sense that we're not quite doing what we hoped we might do, to, to have somebody say to us, you have this already. You have this place. It's yours. Better than a place at university. Better certainly than a holiday destination. Better even than a home for a looked-after child. Jesus says he has prepared for you a place in glory. Now that must make a difference, mustn't it? Don't we sense that if, if, if you and I really believe that, if we really, in our heart of our being, had a sense that that, that place is ours, that that's what lies ahead for us, a place with Christ in glory, then it would make a difference in the here and now, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it do something to our sense of troubled, unsettled, uneasy? It would make a difference, wouldn't it? It would, it would give us a sort of a sense of, of being settled, of an equilibrium, in the face of everything that we face. An equilibrium that would mean that that we could think clearly, that we could act consistently, that we could relate well, because we're not troubled in the way that we were before, because we have the confidence of this place that he set before us and that is ours. It kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? the stuff that bothers us, 
That's what Jesus is trying to say to these disciples. Listen, don't be troubled. I'm preparing a place for you. What you got to be troubled about when you know that? So, so there's our first antidote to trouble. The confident assurance from Jesus that he's giving you this place. And then a second antidote to trouble, um, away. If you happen to have a pen in your possession at this point, um, then now would be an excellent time to get it out um, and um, to change the headings for this talk. Because I got it wrong, didn't I? Um, catastrophically wrong. Um, uh, but I wasn't quick enough to see it. Uh, anyone see what the mis- my mistake was? Yeah, thank you, Leon. Um, it's not a way, is it? It's the way. That's Jesus' second antidote to trouble, is that he provides for us the way. There is a real exclusive nature to what Jesus is setting before us here. Look at it together. Verse 4. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I've got all sorts of sympathies, I think, with Thomas at this point. Um, This is the second time that the disciples have pressed Jesus for this bit of information, to ask him where it is that he's going. Uh, Peter did it back in uh, chapter 36, uh, verse 13, Lord, where are you going? It's not an unreasonable thing, is it? for them to be asking him. Because Jesus is, 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 keeps talking now about his departure, about him leaving them. It's a pretty reasonable question to say, well, look, where are you going? Yeah, would you tell us where you're going? You tell us we can't follow you. Well, tell us where you're going. Of course they want to know that. It's the normal kind of thing, isn't it? Imagine you get, you get an invitation through the post. I don't know, nice, 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 glossy sort of pretty invitation to a, to a party, uh, maybe to a wedding, to some, some sort of posh event. And you think, oh, great. And then you notice it doesn't tell you where the event is. You sort of turn it over and, and sort of look for the map on the back, and there's no map there. And then you look in the envelope and think, well, there must be another bit of paper that I've missed. And there's no bit of paper there. I mean, how bizarre would that be? That you have this invitation to this marvelous place, an event... And you don't know where the place is. That would be the, the most frustrating experience. And yet that seems to be exactly the place or the situation uh, that the disciples find themselves in. I mean, that, that's Thomas's objection entirely, isn't it? See what he says? Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And we get his point. Because he wants to do what we all normally do when we get an invitation of something worth going to. You know, maybe you did open up the envelope and find, oh yeah, no, there is a little slip of paper, and you pull it out and it's got the address on. We do what we do then, don't we? We punch the address into Google Maps in order to find out how far away is this place? How long is the journey going to be? What is the route that I need to take? Because we have that sense that somebody tells us the place that we're trying to get to, and it's our job to get there. So we have to do our research and plan our journey and book a train ticket or get in the car and travel there. 
But do you see that on this point, things are so very, very different here. And that's why Thomas is missing the point. Look, look, look back again to verse 2. Jesus says, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You get my emphasis. Jesus is doing this, doing all of it. He's going there. He's preparing the place. He's the one coming back. He's the one that's going to take them so that they can be there with him. He's doing all of that. In other words, he's not just providing the place and leaving us to try and muddle our own way there somehow. No, no, no. Jesus is saying, I'm providing the place for you, preparing the place for you, getting it all ready for you, and I am the way that gets you there. I do the whole thing. Because the, the going that Jesus is talking about in this section, when he, when he says, you know, where I'm going, you cannot follow. His going is a going via the cross. That, that's what the going is here in John's Gospel. Jesus goes through the cross to glory. So when he says to the disciples, where I am going, you cannot follow, that's what he means. And that's why Peter gets it so badly wrong at the end of chapter 13. See how Peter says? Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you, says Peter. But do you see how disastrously mistaken Peter is? You see what he's done? He's flipped the whole thing. Peter is saying, look, Jesus... I'll lay down my life for you. When the whole point of the cross is that Jesus has to lay down his life for us. And unless and until we get that, unless and until we realize that that the Christian life is not about us summoning up some courageous effort in pursuit of Jesus and realize that the Christian life is all about the courageous work of the cross that was done for us. We'll never get the Christian faith. We're not here this morning making an offering to God, a great demonstration of our praise and worship of him, as if somehow that might win his favor. And you might, oh, they're doing all right. Yeah, no, good, good job, all right. They can, they can come in. If we think that's what we're doing when we gather here this morning, then, then we have missed the Christian faith altogether. When it comes to the Christian faith, we don't do stuff for him that gets us saved. He does stuff. He has done the cross for us. So the reason that a Christian can know the way, the reason that a Christian can get to the place where Jesus is going, is not because we've done research and worked out the best journey and done our plans and know now how we can get there. Now, the reason that we can get to the place where Jesus is going is purely and simply because we trust in Jesus. 
we know, in other words, the reality of this claim that he makes when he says that I am the way and the truth and the life. We don't ask Jesus for a destination and then plan our route. We ask Jesus to be our way for us because we won't get there any other way. That's the nature of the exclusive claim. No one comes to the Father except through me. We we haven't got a range of religions in the world all pointing a a direction, saying, look, it's that way to God. If it were, then Jesus... My my point could have been right then, couldn't it? If that were the case, that we've got lots of people, all of whom say, look, look, here's the way to God. You know, you you follow that way. You know, walk down that route. If that were what being said, then then we could say that Jesus' antidote is to say that he provides a way but that's not what's being said here. Uniquely, the Christian faith says, this is what Jesus has done. Jesus has provided. Jesus is the way. He himself is the way. And you come to him, and he becomes your way because of what he's done in your place on your behalf. Okay, wind back. Um, We live in a world of trouble. We are individuals who are troubled by our world, by our circumstances, by our own inappropriate responses to all that goes on around us. Troubled. And that trouble creates in us uncertainty, decline, failure, finally, and worst of all, it creates for us the experience of sin. And into that experience of trouble, do you you see how what Jesus says here really does matter to us. Uh, Struggling to to find a way that captures it as powerfully um, as I want to try and capture it for you. That there is an orientating impact of this truth. It sort of grounds us to know that Jesus provides a place, to know that Jesus is the way, and that it is all ours, just as a gift. And it's very, very personal. This morning, Jesus is speaking these words to you and me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe this? I'd love us to pause um, for a moment. Actually, we're going to get the band back up to the front. Let's get the band back up to the front so that they can lead us into music in a moment. But, I, but I'll tell you what I want to do. Um, I'd love to pause. Um, We busy ourselves through lots of things, don't we, Um, on a Sunday morning. Um, But every now and again, I think it's just good for us to to stop. Uh, And I'd love to create some space for you to engage personally with the Lord on these things. Because Christ addresses us this morning. This is not an ancient word. This is a contemporary word. This is a word to us here this morning. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I don't know how you want to respond to Christ in this moment. But perhaps it's a time for thankfulness, just to rejoice in this gift to you and to express words of gratitude silently in your heart to him. Perhaps that's what's needed this morning. Perhaps it's a time for confession, to tell him that his words to you this morning have woken you up and made you realize that you have been striving, striving, striving in your own strength. And you've only just seen it. 
And you need to stop doing that and come to him because he provides the way. You don't have to create it yourself. Or maybe it's a time to receive Christ as the way. Perhaps you're somebody who's here still trying to make sense of the Christian faith. And maybe this very moment, the Lord, by his Spirit, has made it clear to you. And you've never understood before that you just have to receive him. And he gives you the place, and he is the way, and you just, with open hands, take it from him. Uh, maybe t- today's the moment that God has chosen for you to understand that and grasp it for yourself. Well, use this time of quiet to receive him, uh, to acknowledge that you need this because you need his forgiveness and you need the way that only he can provide. So let me leave us with a, with a pause of quiet um, and then we're going to lead into two songs uh, that focus on all that Christ has done for us.